Hi, I'm Timothy Fitz. And I'm Jeff. And this is Systems Live. That's great. So we wanted to talk about talks. That's too, not too meta. Talk about talks? Yeah. Let's talk about us talking. Because we talk... That's a witch podcast. Yeah, we do talk too much. So, we've been giving talks... I mean, you and I both started giving talks real, real young. Like, pretty much right as soon as we got into tech. About the same time. Like, like professionally into tech. Instead of hobbyist into tech. Well... When was your first talk? Mm. What was your first time like? My first time? Actually... That's a good question. The the oldest talk I can remember was 2007, and I gave a talk at Super Every Dev House about webhooks. Mm. So it might have just started from doing lightning talks at Dev House. Mm. That makes sense. Um, and then... You gave your first talk at your own event. <laughs> yeah, it's a great way to get started. Just hold your own event and give talks. <laughs> have it get popular enough to give talks at it. I mean, it doesn't have to be popular. You can just stand on stage and talk Yeah. To I'm trying to think of my first talk. I think it was a lightning talk at Dev House. That'd be my guess. Do you know I, what it was? I had seen lightning talks at PyCon um, and loved them. Uh, I went to PyCon 05. It was mm-hmm. my first like uh, conference. Well, I've got a great anecdote for later. <laughs> <laughs> what a great interruption. Um... Yeah, so so you you and I both have given a bunch of talks at Dev House, and have you run the Lightning talks uh, at points? Maybe I think so. Yeah, and I, I've run the Lightning talks for a long time, um, and by run I mean like vetted and helped people create and emceed. And emceeing and talk and giving talks are very different things. Mm-hmm. MC is weird. Um, you also got to be the asshole. Yeah, for which I got a weird reputation. It's weird to be good at something that's bad. <laughs> um, I also I also feel really bad about a few people that I rejected who were like a little bit heartbroken about it. Like even still today, I feel a little bad about mm. it. Because there were some people that was like, "You want to be in tech, and I get that, but like this is not the right venue for your talk." And what was? Well, give me some examples of some rejected stuff because I don't even. There know. was okay, so we were doing one at Just Rainbow typi- Mansion. Typically, you're rejecting like things that sound too markety. Markety, yeah, markety. I don't feel bad about. I have no no problem at all being like, no, no, no. You're a recruiter. Like you have a to recruiter not recruiter or a startup pitch or whatever. Yeah, or or like here's our API. It costs money to use. We're selling it to you. I was just like, no, 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 no. It has to be like your talk has to be non-commercial in nature. It can be about commercial services. You can have a financial interest, but your talk itself can't be commercial. Yeah. That was easy. That's like a fairly bright line rule, and it, it was surprising to some people, but they got it right away. No, the the talks that were really bad, it was like, I made this thing. I want to show people the thing I made. And it's like, well, it's not really a tech talk, just like demoing something. Um, okay. Hold up. That's a those are great talks. Yeah. Lightning talks, like for Dev House. Some especially. of them could be. But like we were seeing a lot of like, I went to a coding camp for three days, and what we made was a Google Maps mashup of places you've been. And it's like, okay, nothing there is novel or interesting, so this is going to be really slow. So, okay, so you can't just give a talk that's like, look at this thing I made. I actually got one person who was like, I just want to show the thing I made. It's like, no, 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 no. this is like a really technical audience. Show how you made it. Like, talk about the process. But that was, like, scary to this person. Uh, And I felt really bad because it was like uh, they were were trying to 
to sort of like start to get into the tech scene and the social scene. I didn't want to crush it, but it also like would have been a really, really shitty five minute talk. Yeah, but I mean that's I mean well, I mean that's kind of part of the structure of lightning talks is that you can have some shitty talks. Most people, most events that do lightning talks are are much more uh, open. Like they don't vet as hard as we did. Yeah. Um, but it seems like you you vetted pretty hard. I don't. I see. I always I I, t- I always tried to be constructive in my vetting, where it was like I would never say no. I would say you should talk about this. Yeah. That that's not right. How, Focus on this. Yeah. Here's how you always. That, that was that was my thing. And and in that specific case, I actually worked with the person for about an hour rewriting their talk, and then they gave it. But they, I don't know. I think I shot their confidence a little bit, and I didn't mean to do that. So. Yeah, lightning talks. Uh, the theme of this show is talks. Um, we're talking about lightning talks, talks um, that were inspiring to us, places you can go to find good tech talks, and uh, t- maybe talks in general. I mean, I think all talks are pretty informational. Tech talks seem kind of like a redundant sort of. I feel like I feel like um, writing blog posts is fun, but it's. It's really hard. You you question all of the words that you write. Whereas, yeah. like, giving a talk is, to me, the easiest way for me to focus all my ideas. And, like, when I give a talk, I am the most clear I have ever been on a subject. And then somehow in, like, conversations and other formats, I'm just terrible at it. And I think you and I have both had this experience where it's, like, we crystallize the ideas that we've been thinking about for months into a talk and give it, and it works. Yeah. It works better for everyone for some reason. Yeah, I mean, I, I've g- given more uh, talks than blog posts, or at least like for like the interesting things that I... Oh yeah, I've definitely given more talks than total blog posts. Yeah. That's kind of weird, because it seems like the barrier to writing a blog post would be way lower. Yeah, but and so I actually took that idea and tried to like do blog posts by recording audio, like kind of just like giving a talk into something and then having it transcribed, but... Um, that comes with its own challenges, but um, so yeah, talks are really great. We also would like to encourage people to give talks, and um, probably some tips in here on like how you can give talks and where to go to give talks and stuff like that. Um, yeah, so there's lots of stuff to talk about. So let's start with let's start with um, both you and I have been. I kind of want to say evangelist, like idea evangelist for, uh-huh. for various things. So for me, the biggest one has been continuous deployment, for sure. Um, and for you, I would say, historically, it was webhooks. Mm-hmm. And with both of those ideas, we were sort of pushing a meme and pushing people to change the way they built things with fairly minimal financial interest. There weren't companies backing us on this. Um, and so I think for both of us, talks were really the like primary method of getting the word out getting people interested and exciting yeah it's 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 like uh you know it's like how bands have to really do live shows you know to build an audience um if you have an idea giving talks is a great way to to get get the idea out there the the cool thing is if you start giving talks and they are good talks and interesting and have something interesting to say then um eventually people will you know approach you to 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 do more of them and just kind of Snowballs, snowballs. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, so um, like I said, so 2007, I gave like the first webhooks talk at Super Happy Dev House, and I'm trying to remember what happened from 
there. I remember there were some like memorable um, talks that I gave, and this is just me, you know, doing my own thing, um, putting together these talks. Um, usually, I would get uh, some sort of offer to do a talk somewhere, and then I would put together a new talk. Um, very rarely would I give the same talk twice, um, so I have a lot of different webhooks talks with different angles and stuff like that. Um, but I, uh, I'm i trying to remember some of the earlier ones. The worst one, though, and I usually don't tell people about this, <laughs> I try and keep it completely hidden and this is a safe space. From going there. It's like no one's listening. You can tell <sighs> us whatever. Alright, guys, don't tell anyone. Uh, I gave a Google Tech Talk, which you would think, oh my god, that's so, like, kind of, at once Google started doing Tech Talks, it was, like, really cool. Actually, so I've got a couple of neat stories like this. It's like, you start watching these talks, and you're like, man, it'd be really cool to give a talk there. Um, the Google Tech Talks was one. Uh, GDC was another. Uh, unfortunately, both of them, for me, when I finally gave the talk, was kind of underwhelming, but I guess cool that I... I had the exact same experience with GDC. Yeah. Yeah. So, but the but still the worst. My GDC talk was pretty good. Um, it just wasn't like it, it. It was like about Dev House, and so it wasn't like super technical. I didn't have as much fun with it. It's a lot easier, um, but it just didn't feel like it had as much of an impact, and it, I didn't get to like. I didn't really like get to sink my teeth into it. Um, but I had it, and there was a good. Um, uh, response after ten years of going to GDC and like f- finding some of my favorite speakers and people and talks and stuff like that, I got to give that talk, give a talk there. Um, but uh, and and you did too. That was pretty cool. We both got to speak at GDC. I think separately. that was the same one. Yeah, that was weird because I gave a proposal for a half hour talk and so did um, someone from the product side of. In view, and they were just like, uh, "You guys both get a half an hour split it." So I had to make a fifteen-minute talk. Yeah, I gave a short talk too. And then I also had like, like here are the things that kind of have to be said, and it was just like a bunch of really a bunch of high-level stuff. So it was like too much in fifteen minutes. Yeah. So really, both our talks were not really good talks <laughs> yeah. at GDC, but still. Um, so GDC is a game developers conference. It's actually one of the first, my first favorite conferences. Um, I started going to when I was seventeen. I um, tried to go to GDC when I was like thirteen. Yeah, and I think rightfully so. My parents stopped me from doing that. It was originally at the San Jose Convention Center, which is where I grew up, so it was really accessible. Um, and I used to get in as press, like a lot of young kids yeah. did. Yeah, that was that was the thing. I was trying to get in as press or as a volunteer, because obviously I don't have the like three grand for a pass or whatever it is. So, um, well, I want to talk more about GDC, but uh, going back to the Google Tech Talk that I bombed, um, you can look it up. I think if you search my name in Google Tech Talk. Yeah, I feel like I watched like five minutes of it and was yeah. like, yeah, no. Nope. Yeah, it's so on what YouTube. happened? Well, what went wrong? A lot of things. Um, so here's some good lessons, some tips, tips on how to not give a talk. Let's see. Well, first it was at Google, and I'm like, okay, this is really cool. This is like a great opportunity. It's gonna be recorded. Like the talks weren't recorded that often back then, so it was a big deal. And um, so I started doing a new talk for it, of course. Um, it might have been a good idea to do, like, a, you know, a different a talk that I'd already given. And it might have been a variation, like I reused a lot of slides. 
uh, a lot of the way I used to put together my talks was based on um, kind of how I saw Will Wright doing talks. It's kind of funny. Um, and so I was I was working on it the night before. I was like still writing it up till the night before. <laughs> and back then my talks were very dense. Um, there were this was about webhooks. It was called webhooks in the programmable world of tomorrow or something like that. Very involved. Had a lot of interesting. Um, graphics. I spent a lot of time making slides and finding images, like more than just like, oh, here's a cute cat meme image or something like that. Like, I was, you know, going for style and a theme and an aesthetic, and that on top of a lot of ideas and a lot of examples, and it was just like way too much. Um, so I was still working on it the night before, and then um, there was also some weird like drama the night before, like some thing that was like whatever kept me up as well as working on the talk at the same time so it was just I didn't get any sleep so the next morning I go to Google and um, you know I'm like oh man I'm really out of it so I thought I would have an energy drink which I drank more of back then and uh, that was you know a really bad idea on top of everything else and uh, and then so when I give the talk it's like okay I'm gonna give the talk and a bunch of stuff happened um, one, and and if you like one of the memorable comments, I got some great comments on on YouTube. Um, this guy's terrible speaker. It seems like he's hyperventilating, <laughs> you know. Um, and it was because um, I hadn't slept, super caffeinated, like jittery caffeinated. And I'm usually not yeah able to get that caffeinated. Um, and I was intimidated because it's like Google engineers. And back then, I was sort of like I didn't really know Google engineers, and it was just like wow, oh, it's Google. Yeah, I mean the nurse thing is real like even even today if i'm giving a talk like i'll feel it half an hour an hour before night before for sure like i read i read somebody like madonna or someone like that was like if you don't feel nervous before performing in front of a crowd you're broken like you mm. you don't care or something's wrong yeah like, I mean, everyone you, gets it you basically yeah you get used to kind of ignoring it or, or, or dealing with it. It yeah or like something. like i do push-ups the night before because yeah. like you have to do something yeah um so, you know, and giving the talk partly because of the delivery, but also maybe because the Google people are just too uptight. Like, I had some jokes in there that just <laughs> fell flat. And I was like, oh, man. It's terrible. Uh, so, so that was my terrible talk. Don't yeah. look it up. Please look it up and watch it. Perhaps remix it, post oh, quotes from it. Okay. Oh, I did that 20 years. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I did a, what was that? That was like a, a lightning talk at Tick yeah. Jam. Um, that was, I mean, it was shot by the Indie Game the Movie people long before Indie Game the Movie was a thing. Um, I had just met them for the first time, but the, it looked gorgeous. I mean, they shot it with like you know professional cameras, and it was my best best lightning talk ever. I actually, I've been recognized twice out in public: once in Palo Alto by a random programmer. That makes sense. Once at a Starbucks in Manhattan because of that talk. That's weird. That's super weird. Did they see it online, or did they see it on the DVD extras? Is it even on the extras? Yeah. Oh, didn't know that. Uh, no, they saw it online. The movie hadn't come out, I don't think, or it was just in theaters. Okay. Yeah, anyway, I, I took that talk and I remixed it, so he said a bunch of stupid stuff. <laughs> yeah, he did. Um, but, uh, so... So, uh, so your bad talk. So you were you were too nervous and too caffeinated, and then that's yeah, real so, hard to come down from. So, like rule number one, you'd think you want to like 
calf up no. like the show. I calf like down. Show. Yeah. I find like I've got enough nervous energy to sort of keep me through yeah, the caffeine. Exactly. So like the show we don't go into it and we're like, oh nervous. So instead we we go the other way and we calf up. But calf down do shots. Whatever. I mean, I feel like if we had 500 listeners, I wouldn't need caffeine anymore. Mm. Like, it's super weird, too, that mm. just, like, passively knowing that there are circles with the word guest under them yeah. can can cause such a, a physical reaction. But, so no, yeah, caffeine. Shots. Detox, shots. Beers. Good idea. Yeah, surprisingly, like, it, it seems counterintuitive, but, uh, like j- just a little, <laughs> just a little takes a lot of that like edge off. But if you're giving like a, a a serious talk, like not just a lightning talk, but like you have a scheduled talk or whatever, what's like your number one tip for someone who's like nervous who hasn't given a lot of talks? Yeah, I mean, everyone says practice, practice, practice. But what I find is that if you practice in an empty room with no audience, uh, you you question everything you say two words and then you stop yourself and you're like no that's awful and what you need to do is you need to just like find a place where you can just do it once from start to finish with nothing interrupting you usually that's like bring your slides up and just talk to a person just have a conversation so i find like the best thing for me is to just go tell 10 people about the topic and then improv everything in the actual presentation like i'm not i'm not memorizing lines i'm not writing down words i have roughly an outline in my head and improv is the way that it it sounds natural and people can sort of understand that i'm like i know this stuff i'm not practicing it it's it feels normal as Mm -hmm. opposed to like you can see talks and you can be like okay this is unpracticed and shitty or like unpracticed and like earnest and that's what I'm going for and then there's also like practiced and really smooth and that's like right. keynote speakers and stuff yeah. and like I don't really do that kind of thing and you don't you don't really need to like this, so this this whole like just having a conversation um, like the thing about conversations is you might say stupid things you might mix up the words or might not say the right thing but like there's enough like you get the idea across comfortably enough that it still comes across um, so yeah, that's interesting. I used to actually write out all, pretty much write the entire talk, and I had a bunch of slides, and I'd always need the show the speaker notes because I was pretty much reading them, um, and that was like I remember reading a lot of stuff about giving presentations, and they would always say, "Don't do that. You yeah, have an outline or whatever." Yeah, I only put like facts in speaker notes, like like numbers and other things. Yeah, things that you might forget yeah like just rote memorization where like when you read it from a thing like oh and by the way 6.375 like everyone right. understands what's or like on. a topic you know something that you might want to mention yeah a word or two yeah a lot of times i'll um i'll write out a, a structured outline like a, a tree structure sort of outline of just like two or three words maybe one line per slide and then i'll have that up in front of me and i won't touch the computer at all um and then like because i wrote that I can literally just glance at it and my brain will like remember the whole thing again and then I'm fine. Yeah, it's super counterintuitive because you would think, I think a lot of beginner speakers like, they're like, I need to like write it out before. Um, But uh, yeah, you don't. 
Especially not, it's like, there's also like what's good speaking practice and that's like you're giving a speech or something. Tech talks aren't that, they're their own thing. Like they're really technical and so no one can sort of like memorize all the words they have to say. You have to sort of understand the concepts and be able to, to do things. And also find like taking questions in the middle usually means I need to reorder things. So it's like, oh, this question came up. That's a great question. I was going to answer it. Whatever, I'll answer it right now. Like, like flowing that way just makes everything work a lot better. Yeah, I'm just thinking about, like, so there, there are a couple of things, like, um, I think a lot of the time the role of talks is not as much informational as, um, I mean, this is especially true for lightning talks, and I guess it's arguably true for, like, an hour-long tech talk, like something that's actually described as a tech talk, but um, I think it's kind of like the way I think about education in general is that if you, you just want to introduce ideas, you want to make something interesting, compelling, um, you know, you want the experience to generally be positive. And if it's interesting, then people will go and fill in the details afterwards. They'll look it up or whatever. They'll think about it. Yeah, yeah. they'll think about it. Um, you don't have to give them all, all the details perfectly. Um, so, yeah, it's... That's kind of I've kind of changed the way I think about talks. Yeah, I, that that was a problem in the beginning. Like I thought, like oh, I need to flawlessly explain these seven interlocking concepts and teach that to everyone in one hour. And it's like yeah. that doesn't work. What you really have to do is like here are the benefits, here are the cons, here's roughly how it works, so that you have like a basic model of it, and then here's where you go to learn more because that's all you got. You get like an hour sounds like a lot of time. You're just not going to get that much across. If there are like soundbite kind of ideas, like something that you want to communicate, you know, that's like that you can actually keep in a simple thing, like that's really good. But anything complicated is, you know, it's people will see it and they might follow it, but they'll probably forget it afterwards. So, yeah, I mean, especially the tech talk, you're like introducing a new language or a new database construct or something like that. No one's learning that in the it's tech not like talk they're, format. Yeah, most people like not not like a do, functional yeah people aren't taking it. notes like they're gonna be like okay that was cool they're gonna remember it and then they're gonna be like oh i didn't know you could do that they're not gonna remember how to do it but now they know that they can they can go look up how to do something like yeah that. also always publish for this reason like um who was who was saying it? maybe dave mcclure was saying that like don't build your slides for the audience that you're talking to build them for the internet later and then, like, roughly ignore them while you're talking, and then it's its own disseminating format. And I don't know if I 100% agree with that, but I, I think, like, it's a good idea. Right. The problem, though, is the way I used, had started thinking about them is I don't put information, they're usually more visual. So, a lot of the time, my slides are useless <laughs> online late, later. Cause yeah, I've had that too. An image, so you can go either way. Um, yeah, McClure's like tend to have way too much on screen all at once, but they're really usable online. Yeah. Um, having them up on SlideShare or something like that prior to the start of the talk so that you can plug the link in the talk is also really useful. Oh, that's a good tip. Um, but it's also usually pretty hard to do. Like, you're scrambling at the last minute, changing the deck or whatever. Mm -hmm. or, but, but yeah, if, if, you, if you have the wherewithal to do it, it's awesome. So, yeah, if you, I guess the other thing I was just thinking about was, besides practice, like, giving talks is practice, if you just give enough talks. So, any opportunity to give talks, if you're interested, you should. Um, there's a lot of different places you can do it. 
meetups, um, other smaller things. I mean, you can even get together with your friends and do stuff like, um, I'm kind of like Dev House, right? That was kind of like get together with your friends and, and we happen to give talks. Yeah, there would often be informal little like, I, I noticed Adam doing it a lot. Adam Smith, like, hey, I'm explaining a concept, and suddenly there's like a people crowd. gather around. Yeah, there's yeah. like four or five people listening, and it's like, okay, this is a talk basically. Like he's yeah. demoing on his laptop live, and then he's talking to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and those things often just sort of like straight line path turned into lightning talks at Dev House. So that was like an interesting like feeder for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know about you, but at least a few lightning talks I gave at Dev House turned into actual real long-lived talks yeah like webhooks i guess yeah um my lightning talks had turned mostly into demos yeah your lightning talks often were about things you built as opposed to concepts which you would um not let me do if no no no. it was fine to show things you built if you talked about how you built them. like it just had to be interesting to a technical audience if it was a non-technical product or like targeted its non-technical people it just wasn't interesting yeah like, here's a product I worked on, five-minute demo, not interesting. Yeah, knowing your audience. With yeah. tech talks, it's very much like, well... So that's that's another thing I want to talk about, is, like, audience versus speaker. So, like, it's important to kind of know, are you giving the talk for yourself or your audience? Sometimes you're, like, giving the talk to crystallize the idea, and if the audience doesn't get it, then it was the wrong audience for the talk, and that's fine. Mm. And that's rough because that, that means that the talk can go away wrong. Whereas, like, if you say, like, okay, I'm building, like, I know who's going to be there and I'm going to talk to them directly. Um, and then, like, imagining, like, a specific person. Um, so when I, look at, when I look at talks, I try to think of, like, who's the target audience? Like, who doesn't know about this and is interested? Okay, I'm that person. What are my questions? What are my thoughts? What provokes me? What am I confused by? Because you find that, like, if you know something really well, you probably only talk about it to other people that know it fairly well, mm-hmm. and the words you use and the way that you use them are confusing to everyone else. Mm-hmm. There's another reason why, like, go find someone who doesn't know about it and try and explain it to them. Write down every question they ask, yeah. every single question, like, word for word, and then answer those in your talk. Man, I don't do any of that. So I have, I have a lot more experience in the last two years of giving these workshops they're one or two days, and it's all on continuous deployment. I've done a few lean startup ones as well, um, but like it's mostly on continuous deployment. So I'm giving the same thing over and over and over again. And every, so, I mean, it's not the same thing because every time I get questions, either like they slot into the progression that I'm teaching, or they're like, "Oh, that was interesting." I write the question down. So I come home with like two days worth of questions, and I flip through them, and I just start answering them in line in the course. Yeah. And so then from iterating on that, like the course gets better and better and better yeah. and better and better. I mean, that's, you know, if you give a talk multiple times and iterate on it, it gets better. Yeah. I would always throw stuff out and do things from scratch every time, which was terrible. I did that a lot for the continuous deployment talks because I could do that. Like I could just bang out a new You're talk. You're like trying quickly. out new ideas, new ways to explain stuff. Oh, I'm totally, like the way that I teach it now is totally different from the way I first explained it. Like just uh, at like almost unrelated. Um, the, the concepts are still the same. It's just like the order and the way that it's taught. Um, just because I found that like uh, part, part of it is well, that's another interesting. So part of it is that like how I explain the concept has changed, but part of it is that people's understanding of continuous deployment has changed. It went from being like, what the fuck, that'll never work, to like, oh, I know that startups are doing that, but it won't work for my big business. It won't work for yeah. me because X. And so now it's like a, a very different thing. Here's why it will work for you, and those things aren't as important as you yeah, think. Yeah, the way you talk about it is changing. 
So that so again, this idea of like, um, well, I was I was I was thinking about the the venues for speaking. Like, there's like meetups and stuff like that. But you can also um, like a lot of companies do talks, um, like internal talks. Like Google's not the only one. A lot of other companies started doing it. I remember one other talk that I gave was at Pivotal. I remember, and they like yeah. recorded and stuff. They were one of the com- earlier companies I remember recording their. their I was talks. there for that. I think. Yeah. Um, and uh, so you know, if you kind of know the tech scene or whatever in the Bay Area, like you can probably find somebody, some company, somebody that works at a company that you know they have tech talks, lunch talks, or whatever. Twilio is another one. Um, so I actually, one thing you can do is at your company convince you know people to organize engineering talks or tech talks or whatever um oh yeah and the cool thing about that is then you can use that yourself as a way to speak when you have something worth sharing yeah we did i forgot all about it we did a bunch of those at interview where like that that format is so lower stress you know everyone you're talking to you have a very concrete audience we're doing it over lunch so like if there's a long pause whatever people are eating yeah um and you get to you have this huge common like shared understanding of things so you get to sort of be like here's a really specific thing and i'm going to talk about it for 10 minutes and whatever and those like lower stress but also much easier to have successes and and much easier to start improving on your like core skills there of doing talks and stuff yeah um but then you can also kind of apply or like submit find conferences that are interesting and they'll have Call for papers and yeah, stuff like that. Um, So that's uh, once you start doing a couple of those, like eventually people will start asking you to do other talks. So that's yeah. So by then, that's sort of like the progression. It's like find some low key events to practice, and then you know do some like bigger audience company stuff maybe, and then. But the so the CFPs are interesting to me too because like the the call for papers where you have to write a free summary of your talk that's super awkward. I've had a bunch Mm -hmm. of them like where I thought the the um, the pitch was amazing, and then they just got like summarily rejected with all positive feedback, and it's like what is even going on. Um, it got to the point where I got I, I've been rejected from PyCon f- like four times or something, mm-hmm. um, and each time I I still cannot believe that I wasn't able to give the talks. Or it's like, hey, we have a Python app that's installed on ten million desktops. Here are the real world consequences and experiences of that. It's just here's what we learned. No, rejected. Why? Eh, Windows. Like it's just ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, every yeah, and all different conferences have different. Um, you know, processes for selecting talks and the more organized ones are, you know, usually pretty good at finding good, like, there'll be, like, I know GDC, they have, like, these little advisory groups where they actually have to go through and read all the talk proposals and they kind of know what to look for and what's a good talk and what's not, um, but you don't always have that kind of experience in the people that are kind of selecting stuff. Yeah. Um, it's some just... companies, like, company conferences, like, a lot of the time they outsource that, so their selection process is weird, or all sponsors or something. Yeah, it's also weird when it's like, um, you know, it's the X company conference because then usually a lot of the speakers are paid and there's a lot more money being thrown around 
to the detriment of the conference uh, as much as to the positive. So those are weird too. I like the community run ones a lot better. Well, so it's kind of an interesting trend. Um, Joel and I were talking about this is that a lot of companies, like startup companies, smaller companies, are holding their own conferences now. Yep. Um, some of them are not bad. Like some of them are obviously like blatantly just like marketing. Um, but the ones that will kind of bring people in to not necessarily talk about that, you know, your company's product or whatever, or talk about, you know, the collective, uh, you know, the field or that, you know, whatever. So like some, some good examples, um, actually one that I didn't mention before was, um, uh, user voice. Yeah. Uh, what I've heard it really good what things. It Something about the community management one. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't remember the name basic, of it. Yeah. It's like in, but yeah, so they, uh, that's something a lot of companies can get involved into because it's kind of that interesting horizontal slice. Um, so people can talk about the general topic area, not necessarily about like, oh, the solution, this is how I did this. And this, and then they're all like tutorials or whatever. Um, Heroku did a really good talk, and I think um, Dropbox kind of did this a similar thing, which is just like have good tech speakers that are just you know mildly related to what you're talking. Like Heroku had a bunch of... At their conference, uh, I went to a couple of years ago, and they, I, I guess they do this every time, but it's a really great conference. Like, the experience is really great. Um, and they had people talking about, like, uh, generative design, like, procedural, you know, gra- graphic design stuff. Like, what does mm-hmm. that have to do with Heroku? <laughs> um, he just happened to, you know, be able to put make some micro web services with Heroku. So, like minor plug, but whatever. So it's kind of nice um, the conferences that are organized that are just kind of like here's some great talks, um, you know, great speakers uh, that talk about interesting things. Um, that's going to be way more valuable, you know, and from a from a like running a conference perspective as a as a company doing those things. Yeah. Yeah, I can't imagine. Like, I've I've done screening for the lightning talks, but I can't imagine doing that on the scale of a full conference, especially where like a bad one can kill the whole conference, or close to it. Um, although that's another trend of conferences where it's like more people go every year, but they all complain louder. Yeah, that's like everything, though. Yeah, it's like it's, it's, the bigger it's, the audience, the bigger the. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to. So that that's one of the things. Like the good conferences to go to have been changing. Like GDC was. I really wanted to go to GDC proper, but then it sort of, like, became crappy. And then, like, IGF was where the, the more interesting stuff was happening. The Indie Gaming Summit, which happens right before GDC. It's part of GDC, but it's, like, the two days before when other people are in tutorials. Um, and part of that was personal interest, but part of that was just, like, the random GDC talks were all awful, yeah. like, as a as a <laughs> rough approximation. Well, so so this is kind of what I did going to GDC. I went to GDC um, the first few years. I would go to the con- the expo floor, which eventually was kind of a waste of time because all it is is marketing, right? Um, and uh, eventually I realized, oh, there's there's good talks here. So I mostly go to all the good uh, talks. And after going for a while, you find out who the good speakers are who talk about interesting things. And then every year you're just like, oh, I'm just going to see their talk because whatever they're talking about, it's probably going to be great. Like John Blow. Um, like John Blow. Um, I'm trying to remember some other, but, you know, like Will Wright, um, Chris Hecker. There's just a, a handful of people that I always try and... Lance. make, Huh? Frank Lance. 
yeah, there uh, uh, Clint Hawking, and there's just some like versus, and and so those for me because that, that was the main conference I was going to. Those were very kind of influential, and the most influential to me were Will Wright's talks, and that Will Wright's talks actually are responsible indirectly for this show because he was uh, the first person to talk about systems. Is he actually your father? <laughs> Will Wright and I. Um, so do you have like influential talks like talks that you think were like profound things that were like yeah I mean the the Will Wright Spore talk pretty pretty dramatically influenced the way that I thought about things um, with respect to gaming and careers and gaming and and how to build games and things like that Um, but it's hard it's hard for me to separate like Consumer, I just wanted to play Spore versus like talk about Spore, and it's and if you've played Spore, ignore that and go see the talk. Like the talk is something different. Yeah, I mean that beautiful. The, yeah, the, um, the, the, that talk, if I recall, he talked a lot about um, uh, generative systems, procedural, everything. Um, and there's one talk that really sticks out in my mind. Glyph gave a talk at PyCon 2005 about. Um, a decentralized system for doing like nat punching and communicating peer to peer when you can't just connect someone and it was it was a twisted framework that like did all the nat punching for you and nat punching is like you you and the other person send UDP packets to each other at exactly the same time in hopes that you, you trick both of your routers into thinking you had an established connection um, because is that actually how it works? That's one of a bunch of different ways. There's like stun and I don't oh, know. Yeah, I'm, yeah, a, I'm out yeah, of this scene. Yeah. I don't know anymore. Um, also, universal plug and play means that you can usually just ask your router for an open port and that works some of the time now too. But anyway, his talk just struck me because um, I had I had been at the sprint period before PyCon, which is like a coding jam where everyone's working on whatever they want to work on, and a lot of cool people are there, and you can sort of interact with everyone. And I sort of saw him build the stuff he then went on to talk about, and then his talk was amazing. So it was like in seven days, he was able to both build the open source stuff and then give the talk on it, and to me that was inspiring. One, that like you can do this. Like Talks are within the reach of anyone if you just do something that's interesting and then be passionate about it. Um, and two, he was like lively in a way that most of the other people weren't. Like he did something I still haven't seen to this day, where um, he had like forty slides in a row, and he just started hitting the space bar loudly on the beat, and like bumping through these like like the text is increasing in font size. It was like hilariously dramatic, uh, and he was just like sort of like angry ranting about how annoying the problem is. Um, so like be yourself and be a person on stage and you know improv a little of it because you know the stuff well um and like that technology didn't go anywhere i don't think as far as i know it was cool and that problem's been solved a hundred times since um but the talk struck me as like if you want to engage a bunch of people here's how you do it yeah there were a bunch of interesting talks at super happy dev house about technologies that didn't really go anywhere do you remember the wheat Wheat talk? Wheat? Wheat? Yeah. No. Um, Mark Lentzer, um, he worked on the uh, context-free... Generative art thing? Yeah, that thing. Um, And uh, some other stuff. I think he worked at, like, Linden Labs or something. But uh, he and I think... 
but they were they were doing this like super weird like web server back when like yeah in programming environment where you had like URLs as like a first class citizen in the thing and it was all um uh what do you call that paradigm it's not MVC but it's like kind of component oriented and they use um uh uh continuations everywhere it's kind of like seaside uh or um those weird web web frameworks where it's like I know what you're talking about. Like Arc and Hacker News are built that way, yeah. um, where you, you you have a coroutine and you pause it, and uh, pausing means returning a response, and then like the coroutine's re-entered by the next interaction with yeah. the user. Super. I love that framework. Yeah, I always love those those and like um, you know other things that were interesting from DevHouse were like learning about the um, the. Uh, there were a bunch of Lisp talks, so the structure interpretation of computer programs, like those actually are are free on uh, MIT's website. Um, those talks, um, there's a, there's a book by that name, but the talks are really good too. And if you you know if you've never done functional programming, it's sort of mind blowing to learn Lisp and all that stuff. Carmack is another one. Carmack's really interesting to me um, because he has no presentation and. I mean, he used to have really bad speaking skills. It's gotten a lot better. But he just stands up and puts <laughs> his hands behind his back and stands in usually one place for four hours until, or until someone literally, like, removes him from the stage. Um, but his talks are always captivating because he always says novel, interesting things. And well, that's, that's so a... it just happens to be that he does novel, interesting things. So he can just talk about what happens very easy and just like, oh, yeah, we did this and this is what happened. But he, but he's, he never talks about boring things. Like, he's passionate and sort of at the edge of the field, and the stuff that he's passionate about is always interesting and new. And, yeah. and, and yeah, part of yeah. it is he's creating that fate because he's in power and things mm-hmm. like that. But the flip side is that, like, anyone can do that. I, oh, um, oh, man, I'm blanking on her name. Our friend... Uh, who built his own uh, turbine engine? Jet engine in his backyard? Adrian? Adrian. Adrian gives tons of passionate talks about stuff that other people have done before. Like, nothing he... He's done some, like, pretty original stuff, but for the most part, the stuff he talks about is, like, I did this engineering thing. But his passion and, like, interest in that field and also, like, holy crap, you did this in your backyard kind of thing has always made it really interesting. Mad scientist sort of thing. But well, so but he he gives like a lot of great talks are people kind of retelling uh, old ideas that were sort of forgotten. Those are just kind of my favorite talks too, um, like learning about uh, like Douglas Engelbart and stuff like that. Narrative and tech talks is what is what's really often missing. Telling telling stories and so like uh, Brett Victor gave a bunch of good talks. He's another one of my favorites. Um, but he gave. An interesting talk at the at the Dropbox conference. It was sort of like a bunch of computing paradigms that we had kind of started exploring and then kind of gave up on, but are still worth like revisiting and exploring. So it was first sort of like, and he kind of talked about it in a sort of narrative way. But like historical context is really interesting. That was one of the things that Will Wright was kind of. Uh, it's funny because all these speakers that we like, they broke all the the rules and in, in speaking like Carmack, like. He would just the, yeah. He breaks every possible rule. And, uh, Chris Hecker gives really good talks, um, but he like speaks like thousand words per second. Um, uh, and Will Wright has just packed so much stuff into his talks, 
and he has like mini sub talks and you know tangents. Um, the tangents though are usually narratives, like um, his Russian space minute or um, talking about like this one topic and then a story related to that topic, you know, and then he'd go back on to it. So just like crazy complex uh, stuff. Those are, I think that's that's why my talks were super convoluted um, because I was always kind of thinking that Will Rice talks were so great. <laughs> um, yeah, but his anecdotes were always interesting somehow. You know, it's as another person who's like their passion is pushing them in interesting directions. And I well, think he was also, that's the common thing. Yeah, people that... Um, people that love learning uh, are going to learn a bunch of stuff that's really interesting and you can just share what you learned. Yeah. Like, like if you're going to give a talk and someone, like, suggests a topic to you, don't don't talk on that. Like, uh, oh, man. Like, the rules for, for drunk history I feel like apply to talks. So drunk history is they find, like, a comedian or someone else who likes to talk who also already likes a subject a lot in history. It literally doesn't work if they, like, tell the person to research. Like, Mm -hmm. tried that. And the problem is, like, if you research a bunch of stuff, you just come in and you just say what you researched. Whereas if you're passionate about it, then you care about aspects of it, and it comes out in the storytelling, and it comes out in, like... (laughs) And it comes out in the keyboard falling. You're so passionate. Uh, I actually might have been. I think I was just, like, wildly waving my arms and caught a cable and keyboard dropped um okay so it's still working still working did i did i pause our nope we're still recording sweet um totally cut that out of the show whatever it's for the live crew only um so yeah so like if it's if it's something that you're passionate about already then you will be able to give a good talk. And if you're, like, not passionate enough about it, like, just go figure out what's cool about it. Like, so, and sometimes, like, oh, especially with continuous deployment, I'm like, I'm so tired of this. I'm so tired of this. And then I go talk to someone, and they have, like, a misconception about it. And I'm like, no, 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 that's wrong. Here's why. And then, like, suddenly the passion comes back. Like, yeah. you don't have to be, like, super excited for it. It just has to be a thing that you care a lot about. Yeah. There was, there's some other, well... Some talks are are great ones that kind of pose questions. Um, yeah, they, talks that don't have the answer. Yeah, and they just kind of like explore, you know, uh, and show examples, and that's always full of stories. Like Chris Hecker gave the talk. I think I mentioned it in one of the last um, shows uh, called uh, Structure versus Style, where he was kind of talking about this way of decomposing problems in structure versus style and showing a bunch of examples of, of how this applies. And then he's like, well, how would we apply this to AI, you know? And so all it was was just like he, he had thought a lot about something and he doesn't know the answer. Um, here's what he had found, and he just kind of shares it all. Yeah. Um, and it, you know. Con- conversely, it can work well the other way too. Like I feel like Jonathan Blow's talks are all of the form of you're all doing it wrong, and here's the one and only correct way. And I never agree with him. Like I just absolutely never agree with him. However, like in disagreeing with him and naturally reacting to whatever crazy thing he's saying, like I learn his point and also have learned something about how I feel about it. Well, I also like John's talks because he usually gets very. Um, uh, a lot of the time, he gets. He talks about like the personal side of things and and how, you know, 
like a development process can affect you personally and all that stuff. A lot of IGS stuff is like that too, which was really yeah, good. Yeah, I think that's part of the problem with GDC is it's a lot of corporate people who have these images that they're projecting and it you can just see. You can just see the image. It's like, oh, you want us to believe that this method is better than every other method because you want us to believe that you're successful in a way that no one else is successful. And I like a common theme in IGS is like, I don't know why this worked. I did this thing and people loved me and I I don't feel like it's right and I feel like a fake and a fraud. And it's like, that's the reality of the situation for most people. Mm -hmm. Um, And hearing that that human side of things, I think is so important. Or like a lot of people talking about depression and stuff like that. I mean, you, 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 if people are just giving talks about all this stuff and they don't talk about that stuff and then you start experiencing things, you think you're the only one. But things like IGS and stuff have kind of showed that, like, oh, yeah. You know, kind of that's People that's doing a, similar things kind of run into the same. That's a weird part of, like, startup land is that, like, everyone is super stressed and freaking out or depressed or in the middle of a startup blowing up. Like, even the successful startups, the stress is even worse. Like, there is no low stress person in startup land and yet so many of them just project absolute confidence perfect joy and all these like it just it's so fake um whereas like i guess it's the same thing really small teams putting it all on the line trying to build stuff but i think because they they live more in an art world than a commercial world um they don't have to they're not worrying about like projecting an image of success so that you buy into their brand or whatever. And in fact, it's like the opposite is true. Like I feel like uh, the Super Meat Boy people, Team Meat, um, the, a lot of what they've done is come out and just spoken openly about how hard it was and how it felt and all those things. And and it's endearing. Like people are like, oh, you're real people. And then these games feel like, oh, there was a voice, there was a perspective. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's and, really all playing to the strength of being an indie. Like, you know, don't try and be big if you're not. Like, instead, be authentic because that's your strength, yeah. right? That, but that works in business, too. Like, uh, businesses that it's like, look, I'm one guy. I'm sorry I didn't get to that email. It's taken me 24 hours. Here's what's going on in my life. I will make it right for you. I'm devoted to this. Like, that sort of thing just works so much better. Be authentic. And startups that have tried to do that have all been way more interesting in my mind. Uh, yeah. I like ever... that. I like that Twitter never tried to whitewash their past and be like, "Yeah, it was this perfect idea that we." There always been like, "No, this was like we didn't expect it. It came out of left field, and we just it started to take off. So we threw things at it, and look where we are now." Yeah, talk about failures and mistakes. Um... A lot of people like, love those kinds of talks, and yeah. it seems like a lot of startups kind of avoid those. I mean, not so much like the engineering f- side. They'll talk about, like, oh, this is how we, you know. Did you go to FailCon? No. I did not either, but I really liked the idea. Yeah. See, I, I'm weird. Uh, everybody seems to love the You're idea of weird? failure stories. Oh, yeah. Huh. Me. Weird. 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 Huh. Huh. So, I'm not a huge fan of failure stories. I don't really like even I don't know. I can't even give them. It's hard. It's really hard because like even if you're being as honest as you can with yourself, usually your audience will see the things you're not like even still honest with yourself. So it's yeah. like you're putting yourself out there in a really direct way. And also people um I I feel like there's this like alpha male sort of problem in tech but also in business in general where like admitting mistakes or defeats marks you as weak 
and then some people who think that way will then not associate with you or will negatively value you those people are jerks and like you don't need to work with them and in fact weeding them out is good but it's hard to ever be like I'm going to do a thing that's going to make 20% of people not like me and 80% of people endeared to me like that's that's a tough math to think through it's 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 hard to share yourself yeah i was just thinking about the um anti passion is passion creating passion, compassionate users or whatever creating Kathy Sierra's blog. I don't know that what? You don't know. You don't know. Probably read it and don't remember it, right. but what is it? She did some awesome blog posts on um, like creating passionate users and, you know, don't be mediocre and, you know, kind of encourage to sort of like be opinionated, you know, you know, do something that you care about and, you know, don't be, be about the user, don't be about yourself, you know, a lot of those kinds of lessons. Um, but also if you do anything worthwhile, there will be people that, don't like it, you know, yep. stuff like that. Um, she made a lot of really interesting, like, you know, um, playful graphs and images and stuff. Yeah, I, th- I feel like my history of using, like, I learned a lot of programming and technology stuff through IRC and through debates. Um, like, I, 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 to the point of annoying people, where, like, I would argue with things until I finally understood it, and then I would just suddenly agree with someone and walk away. And I think that was... That's, not like the, a, that's a common engineering, like, yeah. analytical person thing. Yeah, and, and this is, like, this is me at, like, 12 and 13 and 14, and I... I when you're the worst. Yeah, oh, I was I was absolutely the worst. I would yeah. love to find some IRC logs from that, that point in time and then burn them. Uh, Fire moth. <laughs> Uh, yes, that Google was search. the name that I went by back then. Um, you can th- still email you thanks at Thanks for outing me. Firemoth at Gmail. Yeah, uh, until Google disables that account for inactivity. Um, what was I saying? See, you threw me off track here. <laughs> Just bringing up my past. Firemoth. Um, I was going oh, yeah, to no, no. try and get uh, Watermoth. So, <laughs> so, um, so, like, this, like, argument as way of learning... It, it struck me that so many people work that way. Like, you say something controversial. And it's, by controversial, I mean, like, it's something that doesn't fit the mold of existing models. Even even if it's, like, provably correct, people will react negatively to it. Often verbally, often saying things like, that could never work, that's totally wrong. But when I thought back to it, I said those things a lot about things a, a year later I was doing. Yeah. Um, like, the first time I saw Python, I was like, I can't believe this has significant white space. Yeah. And it took me a week to get over that of actually using Python. That's everyone's sort of, like, initial complaint reaction. And you see Python people get pissed off, like, stop saying that, stop saying that. No, 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 that's, that's the legitimate first impression of your language. That is your language. Is, that, that's just true. People are going to look at it and have that reaction. Um, so what I found is, like, the talks where people disagree with me the most resonate the most. Like counterintuitively, like the 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 very first time that I spoke about continuous deployment. Well, actually, so I, I the first talk I gave, um, I actually coined continuous deployment the night before uh, Barcamp block, and then gave like a presentation off of my laptop to about a dozen people in front of a bar in Palo Alto. And they said that'll never work. Yeah, and and they were just like, oh, this this can't be real. Well, actually, we're doing it. Oh, well, it must only work for you for some reason. That that was that was the most common one. Like either you're lying or you're telling the truth, but it will only ever work for you. And so I I sort of went into the second talk knowing like okay some people will probably disagree with this. And I got straight up heckled. I had people interrupting me in the middle and saying this can't work because of X. And like 
I don't know why, but I found that inspiring. It was like, yes, like people really don't like this. This must be right. Like I'm, I'm like touching people at their core in some way. And so I found that's true. Like the more scared people are of what you're saying, the more valuable it is. Even if it's wrong, you're making them think about something they don't want to think about. You're making them defend a position that's hard to defend. Whatever it is that you're doing, it's valuable for both of you to have done that. If you can do it in a constructive manner. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, this is sort of why I I tend to court controversy when I think about something. Like, what's the most controversial but yet true statement you can make about this thing? Lead with that. Because getting people to react that way, like, no, I disagree, and here's why, forces them to think in a way that you don't get otherwise. Do you agree with clickbait? Um, No. So clickbait I think of as, like, here is a thing just to get you to click on something and then when you arrive it's wrong i hate that like because your title you you can make a clickbaity title that works that it's like uh you know this this thing is wrong but then if you if you get to the article and it doesn't actually say the thing is wrong then you're just going to have a negative opinion of the author um where was a good one of that oh someone said like the oculus rift is sexist and the post was really interesting, um, specifically that there may be a gender bias where, uh, what is it, like men are more visual in how they determine 3D uh, perception and where they are in a physical space, and women use, I forget what, audio clues or something, and because of that, uh, and, and because historically all these technologies have been um, created by men, like you walk into a 3D system and uh, this woman had been working on a a cave system, I think, which is like three, or sorry, six giant projectors in a cube around you, giving you 3D. So like pre-Oculus Rift, really cool shit. Uh, And what they noticed was like women got more uh, motion sickness from it Mm -hmm. than men. Um, And now there's not a lot of science out on it yet. They're still researching it, but there's some leading indicators that are interesting. And I'm sure with Oculus Rift proliferation, we'll see a lot more data on this. Um, but the title was like, it's, it's true you are making that claim, but you're also making the claim that all like 3D immersive technology is gender biased. Um, so maybe that title's too link baity. Yeah. So it's I don't know. Hard to, I mean, a lot of the time, I mean, you're doing it intentionally, like to get people to react or whatever. So a lot of the time you're like, fuck it and just have whatever. Yeah. And in the thing, you know, whatever people can kind of figure out what you meant and stuff i think you've yeah you've i mean that's a, that's a pretty common thing for like blog posts and stuff like that but like naming your talk is kind of a, a big uh you know that's sort of like the the whole like thinking about how, how are you gonna get people to come to your talk and like make it seem interesting you know the title is the first thing they see uh a lot of the time so making that interesting and compelling um and understanding like what what people like you know um, it's also um, whatever whatever you name your title selects your audience. So the more provocative and generic you make it, the more mainstream your audience will be. And knowing what your talk, who your talk is right for, like if you give a talk and only two people liked it, that can be fine. If what you're talking about is pretty specific, and those two people then are like meaningful, valuable connections that you've made. Um, but but going after that and sort of like having the right expectation. I think we should talk. I kind of want to switch to like what uh, what not to do. Things that we've seen that we don't like. Failure stories. Not yeah. failure story. Well, yeah, Mistake other people's. <laughs> yeah, what's wrong? Because we we were talking earlier uh, before the show about like 
Oh, so now you're going to make a bunch of noise because we got these new mics. <laughs> uh, we, attention to it. We were talking about um, things that we didn't like in other people's talks, and specifically like memedom, like shoving a bunch of animated gifs into a talk, or like every other slide being like a funny image. I think that's really not useful. Like, I, I, I feel like if you have the need to sort of supplement your talk with that stuff. It's fine to do it for a little bit of gagging, and you should be yourself, but don't make your talk the talk where you teach a subject and also it's with funny gifs the whole time. That's not actually that nice. Yeah, well... God, what was it? Um, well, there's there's one... It seems like some people do it to be funny. Some people do it because they don't know what to put on the slides yeah um yeah which is another thing like it it associates you with people who don't know what they're doing and so it's like it's amateurish to people who've seen a bunch of talks kind of lazy i mean i've done it though oh so have i yeah yeah (laughs) but but you know i try not to and i always feel shitty after doing it um it also you know everybody does that now so it kind of doesn't make you stand out yeah (laughs) you know yeah um, I would rather just you know have a wall of text than do that sometimes now. Yeah, there's a bit of there's a bit of like trend setting and talks. Like go if you're gonna do a talk, Anti-timeless. go watch a couple recent talks and and sort of emulate those. Because where talks are today is very different from where they were a decade ago, for instance. Yeah. Um, and part of that is tooling, like people moving from PowerPoint to Keynote and lighter weight, uh, and and like the Jobs approach, like the the. Steve Jobs announcement keynote stuff has radically changed the way that people get presentations. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember uh, as as recently as a decade ago, everyone was like PowerPoint, seven bullets per slide, lists of words, and then I'm going to talk about those things. Fucking awful. Don't ever do that. Uh, totally not worth it. Another anti-pattern I don't like is uh, I have an hour, so I'm going to talk for an hour talks. Like, if you are given an hour-long slot and you have a half-hour talk, end it and ask for questions. Yeah. It's always better. Like, d- there's no need to stretch. There's no need to time filler. There's no need to, like, oh, now we're going to do a 10-minute demo of that concept because I need to kill this time. Oh, boy, demos. Demos. Demos are tough to do. Um, if you can... Some people have the easy... They have, they have, like, pretty easy, straightforward, like, I never do demos rule or never do like live demos or whatever. Yeah, I like screencasts, talking to plausible screencasts. screencasts. Pretty good. If you can do live demos, which requires you to have done it enough to know how to but there's always the technical glitch. Yeah, but if you're if you've done it enough you can recover, you have a fallback plan, you know, all that stuff like and there's the designing the demo too to sort of you know, be be aware of that those those scenarios. So if you do it enough, like you can do live demos, but certainly a so the the demo that I used to give when I was working at Canvas, uh, I did a lot of continuous deployment talking, which was like partially just because like the New York tech scene didn't really have that much of a voice for it. Now there's a really big continuous delivery community there, um, and part of it was recruiting. So I wanted to show people, like, look, I'm not just, like, explaining something in the abstract. Here's what it really is. And so we would do a live push in the middle of the talk. Mm-hmm. That was a lot of fun. Um, that never blew up in my face, I don't think. I think it worked every single time. But it was like, no, 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 here's what it really is like. And we changed, like, the bottom nav to put the name of wherever I was giving the talk just for everyone on the website. Because we were small enough, that was mm-hmm. fine. And it's, like, in the it's in the fine print yeah. down at the bottom. No one reads that. 
Um, but it was fun to just like have a demo where not only is the demo showing you how to use the thing, but it has like real world consequences and it it's it's public. Twilio demos were the most fun. They were like that as well. I mean, I I didn't um, I was not an evangelist, but I still I gave talks under Twilio, and they would people as a Twilio employee, um, and usually talking about webhooks. Um, sometimes about Twilio. I don't remember why I did that. Just because it was fun, I think. Because it was fun to give the Twilio live coding demo. Yeah. There was like a classic live coding demo that was um, uh, had just become the established like this is this is the demo to give, and everybody sort of uh, all the evangelists kind of copied it into their own version. But it was like because Twilio is has to do with phones, it was really easy to do a demo where um, you would live code a PHP application. That would uh, b- collect everybody's phone numbers and dial everybody and get everybody into the same conference call. So then, all of a sudden, like you put up a number on the screen and tell everybody to dial it, and then everybody like ends up in the same conference, <laughs> right? And it's like a crazy, you know, to have a whole crowd of people in in that. And then they'll all hang up, and then you do another line of code or whatever, and then everybody's phones ring. You know, it's like. <laughs> Um, it's really fun, and that was always done live because uh, it had to be. But it you have to be lucky to have like a, a product that can be that cool to to demo in that way. Kind of reminds me of the um, I I read a lot of stuff about speaking. There was a book called it's actually I guess a pretty um, influential book in public speaking. It's called Say It in Six. Um, you know, and you know, it, basically the main message was you know try and keep your talk very focused and it actually had a template that was like here's you know whatever you're doing like define the problem up front something something and in the middle if you can do something different that stands out that makes you memorable something that um, you know is interactive or is you know even gimmicky or whatever um, that'll really make your message stand out because people will have remembered the talk and therefore remember the message. Um, and so, you know, live demos kind of, for me, that's kind of what I, I try and do, how I use live demos. Um, yeah. To stand out. But it's just super hard to get right. Like, you have to put a lot of thought and practice into it. Yeah, I definitely, like, did you see that person who did on stage and like that that sort of meme spreading thing mm-hmm. is always really interesting mm-hmm. um there's some other like ideas around that like like have a tweetable point that you put up three times like in the front in the middle and at the end of your talk um so like literally a hundred under 140 characters ideally enough to get like your name in there as well tweet it with the start of the talk so that people can retweet it like you can really optimize for that stuff and the math of it is really hard to understand. You're there speaking in front of 50 or 100 or 500 people, and that feels really important and this, like, big deal. But then you tweet it out, especially if it's recorded, like, yeah. 10,000 people can see it. Yeah. Um, and, and while you're not going to feel the nervousness then the next day or whatever, like, that's actually when your talk's being given. Um, I mean, my my first recorded talk on continuous deployment I didn't know it at the time. I, I I didn't even know view counts. I didn't even look at them. I have no idea how many times it got viewed. But since then, I've met 
a bunch of people who are like my heroes in the sort of like software process world and, and software development world, like Kent Beck, and they've just been like, oh yeah, we watched that talk and it was awesome. It like yeah. changed things for me. And it's like the number of people that you can affect with recorded and then put on YouTube, um, even if it's not great quality, people will sit through really bad quality talks if what you say is interesting. Yeah. There, there's, it, there's, there's this weird thing though. Like, if you, if, if, if your audience is interested in what you're saying, um, they probably don't care about all your mistakes and your ums and you know whatever makes it a bad talk. Yep. Um, the problem is when you give a talk and someone's not really into the content, that's all they'll see. Um, so that's kind of an interesting thing because I remember sharing a lot of talks when you did like Inspirathons and stuff like that. And so you'd have like all kinds of different talks. People would bring talks, and you know, a, a bigger audience of friends that are going to talk to each other about it. And you would see like some people would that weren't really into it. Like they, afterwards, their critique was of the delivery, yeah. which was frustrating to me. But it makes sense because it's like they weren't really into the content, so they just focus on the delivery. Yeah, absolutely. Do not care about your ums. The the problem with new speakers is they're too nervous, and it comes out as a symptom is saying um between every third word, and that sounds awful. But the solution is not to think about your ums. It's just to like project more confidence. And, and just get more comfortable. Yeah, yeah, like do a bunch more, take a shot before it, work through your nervousness. Um, even if you give a bad talk, if you are confident about it, a couple people will react to it. Like you, You'll get some people interested in it almost no matter what. Um, however, like if your speaking is is choppy enough, it's really hard to get even interesting points across. So I saw um, a friend of mine, I'm not going to name him, uh, gave a talk uh, at at Google for a conference on uh, Haskell, mm-hmm. and it's, I think his presentation style was just like it. He was a little too nervous, and then also that's a really weird Aspie kind of crowd. Um, and he said things that, like, if I had given them, I would have fucking mic dropped and walked it out. Like, bombshells. And the audience, was like, because of, I think, speaking style, just didn't react to it at all. There were crickets at points where I was, like, cheering while watching the recorded version yep. of it. So, so like, just just like getting Google, to baseline Google confidence. Yeah, yeah, it's it's the same thing. And I, I also really do think that, like, the, the audience that goes to the Google things is very critique heavy they're very like we are smarter than everyone we'll take your shitty ideas and pull them into our awesome ball of awesomeness and that that attitude is such bullshit um do i wanted to make sure that we share some like sources of good talks that people can look at like both in terms of not not even like presentation but like good quality talks information good ideas stuff like that um we mentioned a few like conferences and stuff but um, if anybody listening has anything that they want to share, places that they find really good talks, it'd be good to put it in the chat so we can share it with everybody. Um, but we were talking about earlier, you know, GDC is a source of a lot of really good talks, and even though it's a game developers conference, like a lot of the talks are pretty generally applicable, um, especially some of the indie projects they're talking about, just enduring through, through a, a long project, you know, and and dealing with you know, emotional, psychological stuff in that, or talking about business, which is, you know, pretty generally applicable. And, you know, yeah. so, but even the technology, like just, you know, talking about 
networking or what it's like there's good stuff in there even if you're not into game development um yeah like game development is fairly all-encompassing i don't know any like like there aren't there aren't many domains that game development doesn't use in some some form or another so I guess I, I do want to talk about the Will Wright talk that I liked so much um, because it did like it was like super influential like it it which it, talk was this so was um, early yeah he gave this was like the second talk um, that I know of that he did at keynote at GDC so the first one he gave called Design Plunder uh, given like two thousand one. And this is after The Sims came out, which you know became has, has become hit. one of the like best-selling game franchises of all time. Um, and and so he was talking a lot about design, and so that was really interesting because I was always interested in the design aspect of games. But as a as a game designer, he talked about design from all kinds of different disciplines. He kind of talked about the Eameses. He talked about you know industrial design. Uh, a lot of stuff that people are t- talking about now with like design thinking and all that stuff. Um, he was talking about it and kind of how he thinks about problems in general. So that kind of introduced me to what people now would call like design thinking or whatever. Um, the second talk he gave, like the keynote, maybe the next year, a couple years later, he gave another keynote at GDC and it was called Dynamics for Designers. And I'm not sure that this is online, but I probably want to put it online or I've tried to put it online before um, this is a talk where he was kind of giving a um, he kind of described it as like a a, a toolbox like a, a kind of describing a language that he uses to think about game design and um, and it is this weird thing because he, he talked about it from like three there were like three different parts to the talk um, he talked about uh, different topologies, so he was talking about like how to um, really abstract structures, like hierarchical or layers and stuff like that. Very like super abstract, but then giving examples in like how he used the the language in that like model in The Sims and all this stuff. Then he went down through a list of dynamics, and this was stuff like growth, emergence. And it was really cool. He had a little icon for each one, and he'd give examples of each one of these kind of dynamics. And he, this was very clearly the language he used when describing these things. Um, and he would talk about this in terms of he would talk about simulations. Um, and then his last talk was about various paradigms that he said uh, simulations were studied or lenses that they were kind of. And he basically went through a list of uh, fields cybernetics, system dynamics, cellular automata, uh, network theory, uh, maybe a couple of others, but basically those are all what people would call like systems sciences or systems theory kind of. Is this your systems theory origin story? Yeah. So this is the origin of systems live. Yeah, that's what I was saying earlier. You didn't didn't catch that. Well, no, but we tied it all together now. You explained it. Yeah. So, so, and the thing is he never really said anything about systems theory, systems thinking, or anything like that. But I was just obsessed with this talk because he gave it was it, it, what I loved about it was it had it very much was like here's organization to thinking about um, in his case like simulations and, and and game systems but very much like you know emergence like a growth propagation like all these very general things these are all system dynamics right and all those paradigms we're talking about 
um, people studying systems like social systems and complex systems, uh, complex adaptive systems, and talking about cybernetics and giving examples, it was just like, whoa, this stuff is amazing. Um, and so he never said, you know, hey, you know, check out, you know, systems theory or whatever. Like, but I had kind of gone through it so many times that I eventually started seeing like, oh, well, what's system dynamics? Oh, Jay Forrester. Um, that stuff was hugely influential to SimCity stuff. Um, but that was kind of that and cybernetics kind of laid the groundwork for thinking about systems in general. Uh, yeah, it's interesting to me how much Will Wright designs interesting systems first and games second, almost. Well, it's because it, it's like he can, uh, you know, he had the whole like toy approach. Yeah, um, and he owned Sandbox in a way that no one did before him. Right, but so, but because he has this language and way of thinking about systems in in general that he can apply, it's sort of like he's, it's easier to explore a world and kind of apply these things. It's like, oh, maybe we can model that with um, system dynamics, or maybe we can marry the system dynamics layer with a cellular automata layer, which he actually did in SimCity. Um, and so it's really interesting that he kind of because he had this toolbox of these systems concepts, he can very easily kind of prototype, you know, ideas and stuff like that in simulations. Um, a lot of, you know, systems stuff is like analysis and like systems, uh, uh, system dynamics, which is a thing, like it's written about and whatever, it's has this concept of stock and flows, it's like how do you model a dynamic system over time, and this guy Jay Forrester came up with this model, and, um, you know, and you can model dynamic systems. There's a, a book written called uh, Limits to Growth. It was They were trying to use this model to model like the world system and they were like, oh, you know, we're going to run out of resources pretty soon. Of course, they were wrong because they got a couple of things wrong and that has a huge impact and, you know, that's something you learn from like complex adaptive systems, chaos theory and stuff like that. Um, anyway, so like just all of it uh, was super interesting and that sort of led me down the path of like I discovered systems thinking and ACK off and all that stuff and that was a completely different realm. It's like started in games and design ended up in like organization, business management stuff. Yeah. Um, and it's just kind of interesting. Yeah, Akoff was like almost exclusively large corporations, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, I'm talking like it's, about it's organizations experience. and stuff like that. But the weird thing is that then he goes off into these interesting like, well, there's this whole like design aspect to kind of what he talks about, you know, like idealized design. Then there's this, uh, you know, educational aspect, you know, and just kind of people, systems in general, obviously, but um, he was very aware that, you know, it's very generally applicable stuff. So, yeah, so if we were going to do drunk systems, you would be the perfect person. Maybe. Because you could passionately ramble and then become incoherent. Yeah. I think think that might happen. Basically, what you're saying is, that's what I just did. Yeah. (laughs) More or less. Um, Minus the drinking. So, yeah, Will Wright, that's the origin story for system stuff. Um, his some of his talks are online. Uh, his best talks are not. The GDC has a bunch of really good talks. They're in this thing called the Vault, which you have to pay for. Yeah, that's so annoying. Um, it'd be nice if we could illegally. There's some free stuff. Um, yeah, they they have some free stuff up, but not enough. Uh, although some of the better talks become free. Um, now it's pretty easy with things these modern conferences everybody's recording stuff there's um, also like there's a bunch of like tumblers that are like just the better talks really? but yeah not not a, not a lot of them but the few and that's where I generally find the best stuff I um 
it's there's way more recorded talks than you would ever imagine. Like most conferences have them recorded and published, and for whatever reason they just don't spread very virally, and so yeah. you don't hear about them through the normal channels. Um, like time and time again, I see like, oh, I'd never even heard of that talk. It has 300 views on YouTube. It's my current favorite talk. Like, yeah, and just no one's seen it. God, what was that talk I was looking for that was not online anymore? That was a Will Wright talk. Was it? Yeah, I think. Oh, yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was probably a Will Wright talk. Um, yeah, but a lot So, but a lot of tech conferences are recording stuff, making them accessible. So um, easy now. Which is really great. Yeah. Another thing to do is just record your audio. That's pretty easy to do, even with just, like, a laptop, even mm-hmm. if it's crappy, and then just, like, sync it to your slides and post it. That's not hard to do at all, and that makes I've for pretty... I've done that for pretty... people. Yeah. Oh, that was another thing I wanted to talk about. I think you and I both have had the same experience where if you go and see a talk and you like it, go talk to the person. Like, most people who give talks step off stage and then are like, why did only one person come up and talk to me? Like, very counterintuitively, everyone's just like, oh, that was a great talk, that guy's amazing, all right, I'm going to go on to the next thing. Um, and I've met, like, just, I had, I had like, a dinner with Joel Spolsky when I was in college just because, like, a bunch of people ran up and said hi and then left. And, like, I, by the time I got to them, they were out of pizza or whatever mm-hmm. at the venue, and we had to go out to eat. Like, just tons of spontaneous, interesting things. Will Wright gave us Russian space pins or something like that. At the NASA one. <laughs> at the NASA one. Yeah. I've met so many people, and I've I've had so many really interesting interactions where you just, like go up and react to them. Tell them what you thought, tell them what was confusing, ask them a question that's interesting, and the conversation that comes out then is even better than the talk, yeah. you know, because now it's personalized for you. So it's almost like uh, being in the audience is a skill that people don't have. Yeah. Yeah, and you, so you were taking, they were GDC presentations or something. Yeah. I don't, how did you get the audio? Probably from Vault or something. Yeah, so somehow you were taking the slides and the audio and putting them together and then putting them up on YouTube for other people's talks. A lot of yeah, a lot of my favorite GDC talks. Um, I guess they weren't they weren't all video like back in the day. Yeah, like only keynotes or video or something like that. That sounds right. And so a lot of the speakers, like I would actually email them to get them their slides because it wasn't as accessible to get people weren't putting them up on SlideShare or whatever. So I say, can I get your slides? Uh, and they'd send me them back, and uh, that's kind of cool. You get a chance to talk to them for something. And then, um, and I would just kind of reproduce, record, uh, you know, go through the slides while playing the audio and kind of turn and reproduce. <laughs> Some of them are a lot harder. Will Wrights were super hard, but, um, and then, you know, put it online. And I can remember a handful of people who were like pretty appreciative of that. Um, it's super time consuming. I can't imagine a lot of people actually doing that. I don't know even why I did that, but um <laughs> You were pretty young back then. Huh? You were pretty young back then. I saw I had nothing better to do. Yeah, you yeah, had not, yeah, you didn't exactly. have a lot going on. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, and that's also, you know, an interesting way to get conversations with people. Um, yeah, I've had a lot of sort of like that's how I got to know people. It was just, hey, you gave a great talk, I'm going to talk to you, and then random emails over the next couple of years, and it turns into something more. It turns into something more interesting. It's a really easy way to just sort of like, hey, we have this thing in common, let's talk about that for a little bit. And people are super approachable right after they give a talk. They've got a ton of like 
energy from giving the talk, but yeah. it's over and now it's low stress, and it's just a really good time to talk to people or be talked to. Yeah, super. I once I once gave a continuous deployment talk and I pulled up a slide that had like quadrants for something and I, I like cited the book that it came from and then afterwards someone walked up and they were like, Yeah, if you turn to that page in the book, actually it's from something else. I'm the guy who did that. <laughs> and I was like, Oh shit. Uh and then that turned into an interesting conversation. Yeah. So Um, and speaking, like uh, speaking is a great way to kind of, uh, you know, get yourself out there, your ideas. It's a pretty cheap way to get evangelized new ideas. Yeah. Um, so nobody's really shared anything uh, in terms of like interesting places. I know it's... Um, You're saying InfoQ. I see a lot of stuff on InfoQ. I yeah, really like, like their presentation stuff system. is on there. Yeah. The straight, yeah. The, the, Any, the anything where you get slides and notes and can skip to time codes is 100 times better. I watch a lot of talks at 2x speed. Um, oh, you're the one that does that. And then, I mean, well, now that it's built into YouTube, it used to be really hard. I used to have to, like, use a random Perl script to download the video and then sure. play it in VLC. Um, and I, basically what I'm doing there is I'm just compressing because people talk too much. And I'm not I'm not getting 100% of the information from the talk, but then I'll slow it down if it gets really interesting. And if it doesn't, I'll have absorbed enough of it. Yeah. Um, or I'll skip in. Like, I'll skip the first 10 minutes of the talk and stuff like that. Um, Google Tech Talks used to have a lot of good stuff. Um, now I think it's more noise. Ted's the same way. Yeah. Ted used to be really fun, and now it's awful. Especially yeah. TEDx. There's so many bad talks. Yeah, if anybody has like good sources of interesting new places to find talks, conferences, or anything like that, they have like really good talks, topically or anything like that. Let us know, because um, I I miss watching talks. I haven't watched talks in a while. Yeah, I'm enjoying the NYU uh, game dev tech talk stuff. Um, it's I mean sometimes it's really laser focused on one random topic, and that might be a miss. Um, but a lot of times it's just like, hey, I made this thing. It was me and two other people. Here's how it went. And then a lot of interesting questions. The part I like about that one, it's sort of a novel format um, because it's it's pulling more from uh, academic art critique sort of based thing. And so they're usually half tech talk um, or like a half an hour of a tech talk and then half an hour to two hours of Q&A. But it's it's moderated there's a moderator there who's asking good questions mm. who's thought about this who is maybe not technically knowledgeable about the the technical subject but uh, overall versed in game design and game development and the and the general thing and they take questions from the audience but there's also really good questions and really good conversation happening i like that format a lot better yeah it's interesting so panels are interesting um they actually uh oh the hamming lectures daniel just mentioned the hamming lectures um, that's Richard Hamming? Yeah, uh, but see, so he computer scientist guy, really good stuff. Um, yeah, there's a handful. You can also find, like, um, Feynman lectures and stuff like that online, too, that are really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, what was I going to say? Oh, panels. I remember, like, South by Southwest had this weird thing where they encouraged you to, to do panels instead of talks because try, trying to make it more accessible. 
um, they're like, oh, it's easy. Kind of like lightning talks. It's like, oh, it's more accessible and easier for you to do. Yeah, you could do it hungover. Um, and panels are good, except when the panel moderator sucks. When the panel moderator sucks, it's... Makes or when the group's wrong. I see that, too, where it's like two people are just going to keep repping their company, and the other two people are confused, and, and it falls apart. And the yeah. questions can be good, and then it'll be like yes and no answers and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, panels I don't go to as a general. Yeah, basically, role. me too. They're like they're easy for the speaker and hard for the audience. Yeah, in a way that I don't love. Some of them are really good though. Like a a good, I feel like one on one again works a lot better. Have two people who disagree with each other get up and state their points. That's a lot of fun to watch. Mm. That is a lot of fun to watch. Do you have an example? Nope. <laughs> Yeah, that's my problem is, like, I know a lot of talks offhand, but I can't link to them, and I can't say enough to describe them accurately, or I don't remember them well enough. Um, I like I like the, the the interview panels where it's where it's one person and an interviewer, and they don't ask just softballs. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's hard to find in the corporate world. Like, you'll see some startups do that occasionally. Oh, I like startup school, um, the Y Combinator uh, day of talks. I don't know. It got a little bit more corporate now. But is that public? Yeah, yeah, they're like Twitch live streamed and stuff. Um, but the the at least the early I haven't seen it in a few years. But at least the early ones, like Zuckerberg said some shit that to oh, insiders yeah. is like totally normal. But to everyone else, they freaked out. Like it yeah. used to be at least, maybe it still is, but it used to be like where insiders came to say insidery things. Yeah. Um, start lessons learned as well. Also Twitch streamed. Also, a lot of really interesting conversation about people doing things sort of on the fringe. Also, I really like the direction they're headed in, which is like almost exclusively first-time speakers. Um, so they want to get people who they can, or or if not first-time, first-time speaking in tech. They want new voices. Because yeah. that's another problem, is after you go to five or six conferences, you start to see the same faces saying the same things at different conferences. And it gets real annoying. Unless they're really good and they're saying new stuff. Yeah. Um, so one that kind of reminds me though the interview thing we'll probably have to wrap up soon but this is something that probably is not relevant to everybody so I don't know why I'm sharing it but for younger people if you ever listen to this and you're you know getting into conferences with the press badge um, you know a lot of the time the requirements for press badges like it was for DDC was you have to show like two articles you know that you had written so I'd have to write some two articles about something game related review or something so there's like some that, Jeff Lindsay journalism on the internet uh, yeah um, <laughs> it's so but disappointing I, later on I later on um, a good thing I uh, figured out was you can do interviews so just like you know if you've gone you know people that are in the industry or people that have spoken like you can say oh I need to do this interview for a blog or something like that and you can do an email interview and then turn that into a post and then that can be your way to get in um, yeah Pro tip. Pro tip from Jeff Lindsay. It's not useful for anybody because everybody <laughs> can just go to conferences. So this was an hour and a half of us talking about talks. It's kind of... I, mean, I feel like we, we still have a lot more to say, but but we're, <laughs> we're running probably out. Probably not. Here's a we pretty good place. Everything. Yeah, here's a pretty Any, good place to stop talking. Um, so thanks for tuning in. So the next episode, uh, we're not going to do it next week because you're out of town. Yeah. Um, so we're we're gonna we're gonna try to stick to Sunday at noon. That seems to work pretty well for the regulars, and uh, I think it's better for everyone, especially if we stick with it over time. Mm-hmm. Um, so two weeks from now, uh, that's the twenty sixth. Uh, we'll be doing the next systems live. Um, 
as usual, uh, if you sign up for Mixler and follow us, or whatever the right word is, you get an email when we go live. Um, we tweet about it. Uh, if you subscribe to us on iTunes or leave a comment, that's awesome. Um, I'm Timothy Fitz on Twitter. Your are Um Thanks for tuning in.